I'm here today with Joel Reed, the CEO of OpenArc, which is a Pittsburgh-based technology consulting firm. And I think I can summarize OpenArc by saying that they build cool things for you or they find talented people who can build cool things for you. Is that about right, Joel? That's a great summary, Will. I love the cool things part that you put in there. <laughs> we build great software or help you find uh, talent that can build that software for you. All right. Very cool. All right. So we're going to dive into all of this. We're going to hear about Joel's journey. He's been building OpenArc for about 12 years now, as I understand it, um, starting from, I assume, zero employees and now up to about 85. So it's been quite a, a, a great success story here. And I'm looking forward to, to diving in. Joel, thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Will, for having me. Great to be on your show today. So let's start at the beginning. Um, you know, what's OpenArc all about? Besides the uh, besides that, you know, the building cool things and, and all yeah. that. You know, what what you know, what, what's the what's the uh uh the kind of you know what what's the guiding sort of force between uh uh at OpenArc? No, that's a great question. Well, um, I I'd say two things are kind of unify and and our, our core values that kind of drive what we do. And um, one is transparency, and that you know comes. You can see that in the Open Arc name, and I can unpack that a little bit. And the other is what I'll call human-centered approach to everything we do uh, in talent and software. So uh, those those are just big drivers of who my partner and I are. We want to be transparent people, and we wanted a a company that was very transparent. Uh, and we we believe that helps build trust with our customers and our employees. So from day one, that's been super important to us. And then um, I think all business at the end of the day is about people and reaching people and um, delivering value to those people. And, and whether that's helping them find a new job or um, finding a great person to add to their team or building software that solves users problems it's at the end of the day it's not about those problems so much as the people mm. and enabling what they they want to do so th those are probably the two cores that have uh inspired bethany and i to to build this business so um tell me about the growth trajectory so you're at 85 people approximately currently have you steadily added people to your team every year every quarter or have there been is it been more of kind of a step process where you add a ton of people all at once and then uh, and then don't hire for a while? You know, what, what's the growth looked like? <laughs> that's that's a great question. You know, at the beginning for I'd say the first five or six years of the company, we we seem to be doubling in size, you know, and, and a constant question was how many employees are we up to now? Uh after maybe year eight or something like that, we really stopped asking that question, and um, because we weren't, we, a we weren't doubling in size. So it wasn't yeah. like we were, you know, 160 or 500 or something like that. And uh, and B, it just was maybe a little less important the exact head count for us. But you know that we we saw really rapid growth in the beginning and. Uh, right before the pandemic, we were more around 100, 110 employees. So the pandemic, you know, did scale that number down a little bit. Um, but yeah, so yeah. it's been a journey. It started with just me 
uh, as an employee working part-time on OpenArc. And so uh, a half-time employee is really what we started with. Well, that is, it's it, to me as a CEO, I, I always admire, you know, any any other CEO founder who's able to go from, you know, a one-person company up to, uh, you know, a team of almost any size. You know, it's really, it's an impressive accomplishment. Um, yeah. So, um uh, so you mentioned the pandemic and having to scale down and, you know, we're recording this in the end of August, 2022 here. So, you know, the memories of the pandemic are probably fading for a lot of people. So I want to maybe turn back to that for a moment. What was that like going through? I mean, I know what it was like for me um, as, as a CEO, but what was it like for you to, uh, you know, March, 2020, the pandemic is declared, you know, a global you know, a global health pandemic and, and everything starts yeah. shutting down, you know, what, what, what was that like? Yeah. Um, you're right. It's fading a little bit um, from memory. We, my family and I were at universal studios a few weeks before everything got shut down. And I remember like trying not to touch too many things because we were starting to hear the stories of this thing happening and no one quite knew the impact of that. But when they, um, and we actually had our whole sales team in um, on an island somewhere in the Caribbean, uh, enjoying like the the last year's sales and celebrating that. And they almost got trapped there because you know they were shutting down the planes and everything. So it was quite quite something when all that was happening. But um, yeah, I, I remember when you know there the word went out that all businesses had to you know close their offices and. You know, only essential businesses could be open, that kind of thing. And and unfortunately, the government didn't think it was essential that we were still open. So, um, so yeah, so we, you know, we went from everyone in-house to fully remote overnight, as everyone else did. And uh, that was uh, quite, quite an experience for all of us. Uh, I, I really appreciated how my team um, leaned into that and made it a success. I I hadn't looked at the mail, for example, for, you know, probably three or four years. And I started having to go get the mail and uh, deposit checks, which I hadn't done for probably eight years. Um, and my my controller is fine with that. He walked me through it and showed me how to do it. Um, but, you know, everyone just came together and we figured it out. Um, and I think it was a time probably that all of us experienced where there was a sense of camaraderie and we, we got to get through this together. We, you know, it's, it's better together than, you know, by yourself kind of a thing. I think we all probably felt that. And I definitely had that for my team. So that, that was cru crucial for, for getting through that time. It was, yeah. it was, it was uh, shocking for all of us and and probably no, no, none of us will forget it. No, I agree with that. Um, for me, I had a different experience, though, because I had been uh, my company has been fully remote before the pandemic started. And so I didn't actually have that kind of jarring experience where we had yeah. to go from the office to the, you know, to the home. Um, and, you know, so I think from that perspective, it, it was different. What about from a client perspective? You know, did you I mean, it sounds like you might have taken a revenue hit. Um you know, because of the pandemic, yeah. that how did that unfold? Yeah, great question, Will, and and I'm glad to hear you were already fully remote. That made it a lot easier for you. Um, we had our 
one of our largest customers uh, went out of business a few months later and told us that they couldn't pay a very large outstanding bill that they mm -hmm. had with us. And uh, so, so to your point, there was definitely uh, some financial implications that we had to work yeah. through um, because of the pandemic. And um, yeah, so it was, and then another customer of ours, one of the largest uh, projects that we had, um, they said, you know what, we're not going to do this. Uh, we're going to, we're going to pause and uh, we'll talk to you next year. Yeah. And we had just hired uh, um, eight people for that, for that project. So, um, so yeah, so it was, it was difficult to have to turn around and, and tell folks that, um, you know, actually we didn't have uh, that project anymore. And also just the financial implications of a very large, um, we can't pay you type situation. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's really rough. So, it, you, you know, you're right. It was easier for me from the remote perspective, but I did I had expanded relatively recently into some consumer uh, accounts. So um, so, you know, I, my company is an ad agency. And so we often, you know, a lot of our clients are B2B firms, but we had expanded pretty heavily into some consumer firms. And those all went on pause. We didn't lose the accounts, but we we allowed mm -hmm. them to go on pause. You know, they weren't able to uh, to to service. You know, to 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 take on any revenue for their business model. And so we we wanted to to you know share the pain with them. I mean, we didn't want to share the pain, but we were mm -hmm. willing to. And and we wanted yeah. to, we wanted to do the right thing with them. And uh, yeah, but that cost us about thirty percent of our revenue overnight. And mm -hmm. so it was a, it was definitely a rough experience. Um, it took us about, uh, as I recall, about 13 months to fully uh, recover that, uh, you know, after the, uh, you know, after March, 2020. Um, mm -hmm. And then, and then I can't remember, but some three to six months later, we were significantly better off than we were before. So mm -hmm. we, we, it, it was, you know, it's been a, 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 a good you know, turnaround, if you want to call it that, but, um, uh, but it was, it was brutal in the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. So how, how about, yeah, so how, how about you? I'm not sure if you can get into numbers or anything. You don't have to, to go through anything confidential, but you know, was it, um, was it something where you were able to, uh, you know, to, to pick up new accounts that, you know, th through the pandemic or was it, you know, is it something you're still dealing with, you know, at this point, you know, the recovery? Yeah, um, great question. So, on the software side, I, I, you know, we've we've gotten back to where we were uh, before that happened, and um, I don't think it changed the software, custom software consulting business uh, landscape or um, you know business model as much on the talent side of our business. Um, it's uh, you know we we still have work to do on that front, and I think the the whole talent market is a little bit different now. It's had a more fundamental impact on that side, and so um, so yeah, so we still have more work to do on that front. So maybe you could talk a little bit about how you feel that the talent market has changed. You know, is it that people are applying for jobs differently or they're looking for different things in their jobs? Well, what exactly has shifted in your view? Yeah, great. Um, so there's there's probably two main things I'd call out. 
One is an obvious one, just that there's so many more remote Mm -hmm. only or remote first type positions available to candidates across the country and and around the world. So that has totally changed the landscape of where you are sourcing candidates from, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, you know, typically a lot of our customers were in the Pittsburgh area and we were mostly sourcing Pittsburgh candidates, um, Mm -hmm. you know, pre-pandemic. And now uh, many companies are willing to find talent anywhere. And so we've we've needed to, along with every other uh, staffing company, expand our, you know, where we're searching for talent. And then, um, you know, we're able to service customers in other parts of the country as well. So as you can imagine, everyone's uh, who you're competing with has has grown just because of that. Mm. The, the candidate market has changed. So that that's one, the kind of how many remote jobs are available now. And then I, I think secondly, uh, pre-pandemic, we had a lot of uh, what we would call contractors, people who are maybe hired for a six-month or nine-month period. And um, sometimes it's try before you buy type thing. And and other Mm -hmm. times people just, you know, it's not a permanent position they want to have on their staff. Uh, Now, after the pandemic with unemployment rates as low as they are and the the war for talent so so intense, every job is is really a a full-time position. Almost everyone is. It's basically, you know, maybe before the pandemic, it was, Forty uh, percent uh, permanent, what we would call permanent placement, where you get a, a full time permanent position, and sixty percent contract work, and now it's maybe eighty percent permanent placement and twenty percent contract, something like that, uh, given the labor market and and the war for talent and so forth. So that changes uh, the revenue uh, mm. at OpenArc and just also changes you know, the whole recruiting process and, and interviewing process and so forth. So that's really interesting. Um, yeah, a couple interesting things about that, but I, I, I want to maybe pick, pick apart one of the things you said. So in terms of the changing kind of nature of who you can hire, cause you can hire people anywhere in the world or certainly anywhere in the country, whereas before maybe you were limited to, you know, folks who were within a hundred miles or so of, of a company, do you feel like that's made it harder for you as a staffing firm, but easier for individual companies to, uh, to, to find talent for their specific roles or has it become harder for everybody? Uh, well, that's a good question. I, I, um, I don't think it's changed anything for our clients in terms of the ease. If, if anything, I think it might be harder. That might just be a general factor of the, um, you know, the labor market as it is right now, but um, many, many customers that are coming to us are, are challenged finding good talent in this market and and talent that meets their skill needs and so forth. So I don't, I don't have any sense that it's gotten easier. Yeah. Okay. Um, okay, well, let's uh, let, let's go back to uh, to your journey here. So, did you always want us to start a firm? Were you were always planning on on creating a company like this? Um, I'm laughing because when I was about 12 years old, I 
recognize that if I had a company that you could get free magazines because I saw them like at the doctor's office and other places. So, <laughs> so I created a company called Mikalot Industries or something. It was some like Lord of the Rings name. And I didn't like really create one, but I said I was the CEO of some company and I did start getting free magazines and I thought, <laughs> I thought it was amazing. So, uh, cool. but not really, you know, just beyond the free magazine part, um, that that wasn't uh, super high on my radar screen for a long time. I did get to a point in my career in corporate America where I thought I'd I'd hit like a ceiling, and that that had been a little frustrating to me. And so it brought me to a place where I uh, wanted to do something new, take a chance. You know, I had done the maybe a little more of the safe thing for most of my career just risen in the ranks of leadership in corporate America, so to speak, and hit, hit a ceiling that I didn't think um, needed to be there. And, uh, and so that kind of low point career wise was the motivation that, you know, that gave me the spark to try something new. I went to a startup company and that was right before 2008 um, with the great financial crisis and um, and so that startup company, uh, the funding for it uh, disappeared after a short while, a few months. And so that put me even a lower position because I had left the safe position. You know, I went to a startup that that whole crash happened in 2008. And I was really asking myself, how did I get here? And, uh, you know, why is this happening? Um, but we, you know just wrestling through that and, and trying to process all the emotions around that um, started to look around and say, you know, uh, this, this consulting company that I found myself in at that time, which was more of an IT consulting company, it, it became apparent just being there and, and interacting with folks that I had learned a lot in, uh, in corporate America and that I could, um, I could do what these folks around me were doing and and maybe applied that that learning that I had I had gotten in corporate America. So found some people that had a similar were at a similar point in their careers and and that gave birth to Open Arc. So um yeah it was a it was a process of going from safe to uh taking a chance mm -hmm. really that brought me to this. And I heard you reference a partner that you have. So did you start yeah. off with a partner or did yes. that come later? Yes. My, my partner, Bethany was uh, working at another company and they had a big project that they had closed and they needed someone to lead the software development effort. And so she called me and I said, um, if you can get me something where I work four days a week, cause I'm starting this other company so give me a job where I only have to work four days a week so I can spend the fifth day on open arc. And she made that happen because she's amazing what she does. And, and that gave birth to our, you know, the first, our ability to, for me to start working on open arc. And then, um, you know, shortly thereafter, uh, she, she got to a point where she wanted to do something new and start a company. And so we joined forces there's been other partners along the way of this journey, uh, but but she is. We just had lunch today, and and she's a big part of all of our success here. 
So, um, so when you talk about partners, um, are you and you've had other partners along the way? You said, um, are these partners equity holding? You know, partners in OpenArc is that is that what you're referring to? Correct. Yeah, that's correct. I see. I see. And leadership so roles. Yeah. So how do you how do you uh, how do you treat you know partners and partnerships? Is it something where you know in, in the past you know I know uh, when you think of an old Madison Avenue. Um, you know, uh, advertising agency or an old, you know, kind of a law firm, you know, partners would, would be, you know, having people rise up through the ranks and become a partner was a really important part of making a company durable and, mm -hmm. um, and also just motivating talented people to want to work with you and stay with you. Um, you see less of that nowadays. I think you don't see companies yeah. with a lot of partners, um, you know, how, how do you, how do you think of partners with your business? You know, is that something where people, you, you want more of them, you know, you're, uh, how does that work? That's a great question. And just discussing partners in business could be probably a whole separate two hour episode um, of your podcast here. But um, the, you know, we learned a lot over the last 12 years about this and made lots of mistakes over the years. And it's it's their mistakes or things that I see other business leaders struggling with and working through uh, all the time. So um, try to do some experience sharing in those in those conversations. But um, but, yeah, you know, we we currently you know, it's Bethany and I, it'll remain Bethany and I, and uh, we're not looking to uh, expand that model be be beyond the two of us now, based on the lessons that we learned over the years about how challenging that can be to have lots of partners with different uh, amounts of equity and so forth. So, you know, now uh, we have other compensation models, I'll say that for key leaders and contributors, to make sure they feel a sense of ownership and and um, you know are are really excited and engaged with with being a part of our success and I think that's working uh, much better for us. I see, I see. Very very interesting. Um, any any uh, memorable um, uh, mistakes you'd care to share with uh, with the the <laughs> listening audience here? <laughs> Um, you know, uh, I'll, I'll take maybe a, maybe an easy one. Um, but you know, there's a big difference between someone who maybe owns 5% of a company versus 50% of the company, um, in terms of your sensitivity to profit distributions and what, what those might look like to you and, and how long-term you might be thinking of. And, um, and so something that might be okay for a 50% holder with a long-term view might, might be a much more difficult thing for someone to swallow if they've only got 5%, um, you know, adding a new partner, for example, is, is one obvious example, or, you know, just making a, a decision to invest in the business that's going to cost some of the profits, you know? So um, we, we found that that was, you know, that we, that started to introduce mm -hmm. divergences in, in our thinking, you know, as a leadership team, just because of those equity differences, no other, uh, can you know significant reason so that that's one that comes to mind quickly um yeah 
That's interesting. Um, I'll, I'll tell you, this is a slightly related topic. I, I had an experience with a company some years back that really relied quite a bit on profit sharing. And, um, I, you know, it left a bad taste in a lot of people's mouths because, uh, uh, the, you know, on, on paper and in principle, the profit sharing sounds really nice. You know, you're, everybody shares in the, in the, the benefits and the, and the growth, mm -hmm. but in, you know, at the end of the day, long-term investments and, you know, the, you know, the, those are, those decisions are really made by a, a small group of people. And then yeah. that has a key, you know, that really determines everything around what that yeah. profit share is going to be. And, right. you know, that was one of the things that I wanted to avoid to a certain extent with with my company was uh, was having these types of compensation packages that would, you know, it would it would kind of, you know, t put everybody in the same type of situation. But if you don't have control over the the uh, the decisions of the company, I, I feel like that tension would you know kind of ruined the the good intentions of the mm -hmm. of the profit share itself yeah i think you're right about that well that's that's kind of similar to what we were seeing on the equity side um another thing i you know that i think business leaders should think a lot about is how your decision making ability and can we make decisions efficiently and quickly as a business with X number of leaders and what's it going to take to reach consensus? I think, I think you can, can, if you have too many business partners, put yourself in a, a position where you, you almost become par paralyzed by the mm -hmm. inability to reach consensus on things. So yeah, it's another one that comes to my mind. Yeah. Um, so you made uh, a couple of references to um, your having your role having evolved a bit as CEO over the years, you know, you, you stopped checking the mail at one point, then you had to, to deal with that again. Um, yeah. Can you describe what your path has been like as the company has grown? Um, you know, how, maybe, you know, you know, how has your role changed since, uh, since starting the company? Yeah, I'd be happy to. Um, it really started off, like I said, at the beginning of programming and doing software, custom software development, I still like to dabble in that when I get a chance, but I, I don't get much of a chance. They don't like, they don't let me write too much code anymore, but uh, I, you know, early on it was contributing to client projects and uh, leading those efforts and so forth. Um, at some point as we grew and maybe we were at 30 or 40 people, it, it was more of a, a people leadership role and and re, you know helping drive consensus with our our partners and so forth um and uh more more recently um i've been working with our leadership team to start to get delegate uh as much of the leadership of the company as i can so that my partner and i are are mostly providing vision for the company and you know, and being involved in sales and marketing for the company. So uh, less of that people leadership, um, providing some strategic uh, direction for our team, but letting them figure out the best course of action for those. So I'm it, it, it is, um, it is exciting to, to be able to see our leadership team grow into those roles. And uh, that that's very energizing for me. And, and I love, the customer focused aspect of the sales and marketing part of it, understanding the problems they have and what they're trying to solve and uh, for and so forth. So it's been great to 
be able to focus on that. Uh, so it it has been an evolution. And, and I think at the end of the day, some of it just comes down to where can I bring, bring the most value um, and, um, and just being flexible, staying flexible for that. If I have to go back to coding, I won't go back to that, you know, for, for some emergent. And actually I did in the last year, cause we had a specific need. So I said, I'll do that for, you know, a couple months. Um, and, uh, yeah, I think you need to stay flexible when you're uh, in a, a smaller business. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. That, that progression sounds, sounds relatively similar to mine. Um, I, um, uh, I, I now I do try to think of my time at, in thirds. I do a third of my time focused on internal matters, strategic planning for the company. I would include in that a third mm -hmm. of my time on sales and marketing, um, and a third of my time talking to customers, working with customers to a certain extent. You know, um, you know, I, I don't know that there's any real magic to breaking it up that way, but um, but that's that for better or worse is how I I try to think of it. Um, and uh, I, I think sometimes you know having the hardest part is is figuring out the for me anyway is figuring out the balance of how much time and how involved to be in the specifics of certain mm -hmm. technical matters. I think a little bit is good. I think it keeps you honest. It keeps you really focused and, and, you know, um, yeah. you know, keeps you on uh, kind of, kind of, uh, you know, uh, knowledgeable, I guess I'd, I'd say enough yeah. to, to, you know, to run the company, but it also pulls you in deeper and deeper and deeper. So mm -hmm. uh, that line is, uh, is tough to sometimes, you know, to get. Yeah, no, you're right. Well, I think that's very insightful that you should, it's good to have your feet a little wet in, in the day-to-day -day, uh, a little bit. So, you know, frontline what's happening in your company. I, I've, I learn a ton when I'm, when I'm, you know, in, introducing our talent team to a new customer and talking through that with them or, or being on a software project and, and just experiencing the day-to-day. -day. Um, and it's, it's also great just to, interact with some employees that maybe you don't get to interact with every day and, and see what they're like. So I totally agree with you. Is there anything um, that you have to do as CEO that you would kind of put at the bottom of the list that you're really, you know, anything you really dislike about, you know, about your, your responsibilities as CEO? Hmm. Boy, that I have not thought of that. <laughs> I, I really well, that's do a good sign that, that's a part that, that's a good sign i mean that that might yeah. mean that you're really your team is really uh uh utilized very effectively I, i'll tell you for me i could have I, I i actually it used to be easy for me to answer that question but as my team has grown it's it's gotten harder and harder and harder to to think of things that that maybe i shouldn't be doing that mm -hmm. I, that other people should be doing um, so I, I think it's actually, maybe, maybe it's a good sign that <laughs> some CEOs it's easy for them. They, they know exactly what they hate doing. Uh, yeah. Uh, I, I wouldn't say, no, that would be hard. I'd have to think about that. I can't come up with something off the top of my head. Um, you know, I think there are some stress related to uh, leading a company that just comes with that position. Um, that, you know, if I could wave some magic wand and, and get rid of that, that would be, that's probably the one thing that, you know, be nice not to have, but I, I don't know that I have that wand to do that. So. <laughs> well, if you, if you get that wand, that's going to be a I'll very pass it along to you. Yeah, you change, you're going to want to change your business at that point and just start using, right. selling that thing. 
Um, right. <laughs> so, um, uh, so I want to maybe tweak that question a bit and and ask: Are are there are there any things that um, maybe you wish you'd known when you first started your company that you know now that's uh, that really helps? That you do you ever think back and think, you know, wow, I really used to do this differently, and and this now I'm doing it ten times better. Mm, that's good. Um, you know, I, 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 it, it was, it was painful. Some of those partner, uh, discussions and, and, um, learnings that we had to go through. I, I wish I knew more about that. Um, when I was starting, mm. definitely, definitely could go back and, you know, rewind the tape on that. Um, more recently, um, I've just found a new, I, I think being more involved on the sales and marketing part has been really good for me as a leader. Like you were saying earlier, like being close to the customer, um, I think has been really helpful for me and, and help articulate better to our team, you know, a vision for where we're headed and, and what we need to achieve. So I think I probably would have gotten more involved in that sooner um, than, than I and then I did. I'd say those two things. You know, it's interesting because I've done 22, 23 of these these podcast episodes now. And I would say that's one where not everybody says that, but I but I think that is a really that's a very common theme of, you know, mm-hmm. needing to be closer and closer to the customer. Um and you know, some people have big regrets about having gotten disconnected from their customers, and then other folks are just kind of more like yourself, or are just kind of it's a little more nuanced. You know, you wanna yeah. you wanna uh, make yourself more and more kind of connected to them because you see the benefits from it. Yeah, I just read something on LinkedIn today from a good friend of mine who was talking about great leaders study their customers and. You know, I think that puts a good frame on it that that um, how important it is to to learn learn about your customers and what their needs are and and how your services are meeting those or not meeting those and how they're perceived by them. There's a lot of things that we do that we've talked about as a leadership team that our customers don't totally get why we're doing it or um, don't appreciate the value of it um, that we've said, you know, we got to stop doing that or we got to explain it. Um, And those are the kind of things that only uh, can, can happen. I think when you're studying the customer, like, like my friend was talking about. I think that's a really good way to say it, studying your customer. I mean, I, I certainly, um, I, I think that I probably have, tried to approach it that way, but I've never phrased it it that way. I think that's a, a really good way to think of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I agree. So you've got a team of 85 people um, and up until 2020, um, you, everybody was in Pittsburgh, you know, kind of interacting on a daily basis, um, I would assume. Um and then you went remote. Did you stay remote or have you, are you guys back in the office? Um, you know, how, what, what's the, what's the office culture like at this point? Um, we are still, we are, we call ourselves a remote first company. So we're optimized for people working remotely. Our offices are open. We have a one day a month mandatory in office day. We are, I'm starting to hear from my employees that they're, 
they're done with working from home. At least some of them, not, you know, not yeah. everybody, but at least, um, I don't know, maybe half feel like they're done with it and they'd like to be in the office more often. So uh, we were just talking today over lunch about having a Wednesdays be the day that, Hey, you can come in on Wednesdays and people will be here and we'll maybe we'll have a happy hour or, or buy pizza or something like that. So I, th I think, um, so we're still remote. Um, we, we do a quarterly company get together. So in, in around the holidays, we'll, we'll all go out to some houses and like in the mountains and, and uh, celebrate the year in the summertime. We'll have a family uh, get together at a park with uh, dunk tanks and um, yard games and stuff like that. And, and then we do paintball in the springtime. And so we, we have these quarterly, this quarterly rhythm to big company celebrations, a monthly uh, in office day, and then people are still remote. So it is really important to us to, try to maintain the culture that we mm -hmm. have, even in this remote world. I, th I think it's a lot harder to do now. I think you having a remote first company from the beginning, maybe that feels different, but um, there was there was a different feeling a little bit when we're all in the office that that I don't think you can completely replicate. And, yeah. um, and, and you know, some people just are telling me, hey, I'm, I'm I'll go for days without seeing any humans other than, you know, people on the screen here. And, you know, for a lot of us, we're social, we're all social people um, yeah. at the end of the day and, and need human interaction. And so um, I'm sensitive to that and, and want to make sure that we can help people on that front too. So, you know, I actually should clarify because I, um, so my company started off as remote first. It is, uh, it is remote first in the U.S. We've got our office in Belgrade, um, and that is um, a full office that is growing, and we're getting bigger okay. and bigger offices. You know, um, it seems like every day. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> um, so, uh, so we we actually are more of a hybrid in in that okay. sense. Um, okay. I personally have been remote for a long time. Um, and I consider myself, even, even if I start going into the office every single day, um, you know, um, with the team that's here in Virginia, um, I would still consider that to be remote because more team members are, are going to be in Belgrade that I'm not going to be interacting with in person every day. And so, yeah. Um, so it, 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 I guess it's more accurate probably to, to say that we're, you know, our origins were remote first. We're now mm -hmm. hybrid. Um, I do think, though, that th the big difference from my perspective is uh, from day one, I did try to address the challenge of creating a good, real culture, despite the fact that it's going to be distributed. Um, mm -hmm. And a big, you know, big part of that is I wrote down what the culture is. You know, we talk about the culture when we're interviewing people. We try to talk about the culture, you know, throughout the, um, you know, uh, throughout the 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 experience of working at the company. You know, we want we don't want it to just be something that we we have posted up and then never refer back to it. Um, we also do um, have in person gatherings, um, and uh, you know, due to COVID and and other factors, you know, it's always been in in Belgrade. But, um, you know, we're hoping to to have, you know, other other gatherings as well. So mm -hmm. I think it's really the only difference probably has been that just sort of that attitude that we've had where 
you know, we've always had to to deal with the fact that we're not yeah. going to be all together on a regular basis. Yeah. yeah, that's good. And I, I think it's so important, like you said, that you wrote out your culture and, and what you wanted that to look like and and reminded people of that. I think it's important to go over that with folks. Um, is that something year, that at least is that something that you guys did at, at Open Arc? Yeah. Yeah. We have, um, you know, one of the things that came out of the pandemic was we got into Coda, which some of your listeners might be familiar with, but a platform to basically build a company internet with our, you know, we have our culture document or, you know, what our values are, what kind of culture we're trying to create written out on there. We have a director directory of employees and Tell me a little bit about the employee, how do you contact them, what they do at OpenARC. We have standard operating procedures documented. So a lot of things uh, that maybe were documented before, but they were all over the place and harder to, to share with new employees. We said, well, in this remote work environment where there's less of a chance to just walk up to somebody and say, hey, where's that? Um that that motivated us to bring that all together, and I, I think that's been good. And it, and a big part of that was making sure people understood our values as a as a company. Yeah. Um. So I had another question about your uh, your partnership. Um. What uh what uh how do you d- divide labor up? Your CEO and uh your your partner is that a, the COO or is there a different uh, role for her? She is a uh, president, and I am CEO. Um, so yeah, so we get together, uh, once a week to talk about, uh, overall how, how we're progressing on our goals and how the leadership team is doing and review finances and stuff like that. Um, she, uh, works with our VP of talent services to make sure on the talent side, the operations are running well and we're meeting our customers needs. And I'm, spend a little more time on the software side of the business, Mm -hmm. just given our, you know, that's where out of our backgrounds. Um, So that's, that's kind of the breakdown breakdown Mm -hmm. there, but both of us are trying to actively raise up the, you know, next, next level leaders. And and that, and and that's my next question. So an 85 person company, how big is the executive team either now or kind of what your vision for it? You know, how many, how many executives do you need for a a company of that size? That's a great question. We have currently five, I would say directors. Mm -hmm. Um, And I, we're still trying to work out, do we have them um, over the right parts of the business? We're not organized currently into like a, sales and marketing, sales leader, marketing leader, mm-hmm. operations leader, finance, a more functional type thing. It's, it's. I was just talking to you about the talent and custom software development. It's a little more oriented around our various practice areas right now. So that's something that we are talking through. Is is that the right, um, can, you know, leadership structure moving forward or or do we need something that's more organized around you know, business functions of the company. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if other people find that, that question interesting, but I've always been interested in, in how a company is, is able to optimize all its processes from a leadership mm-hmm. perspective. 
you know, I mean, I, 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 I'm not sure what folks think now, but um, I, I, I tend to think that one person might have about five, six direct reports. Mm -hmm. um, and, and then, um, uh, you know, basically that unit of management kind of just filters down and, and that's kind of how many managers and mid-level managers you might need. And, yeah. um, you know, and then, and then at the top, at the very top, it's, it's always, it's more of an open question in terms of, uh, you know, how, you know, what, what, what's really necessary at the C level. Yeah. I think you're right. I, I, the number that's always been in my mind is seven or eight mm. is kind of the limit for any particular uh, manager in our organization. Uh, when it gets beyond that, I think they, they need some kind of team yeah. leaders or help along the way, but yeah. And, yeah. and, um, I think the structure of your company is really important. It might be something not everyone's interested in, as you were just saying, but, um, you know, not having, for example, not having one person in charge of our sales strategy across all of our practices is very different than having, you know, individual leaders in each of the practice areas mm -hmm. in terms of um, how we approach the market and, 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 and you can imagine you know, how coordinated we are across groups and so forth. So to me, it's very interesting and, and we're spending time talking about that, but, but I get, it might not be for everyone. Well, so um, I think this has been a great conversation. I want to, I want to, um, I think we're, we're nearing the end of the, of the hour. And um, I want to end on a, just a, a question about, you know, what, what are you, what are you currently working on or, are there, you know, who, who should be reaching out to, to open arc right now? Like what, you know, who, who, who's a good fit, you know, let's make a little pitch for open arc. Oh, well, thank you. Will. um, if you're, you know, I'll start off with something maybe straight, very straightforward and easy. If you are struggling to find talent for your company, uh, we have a very strong recruiting team. We've been doing this for years. We're really good at what we do. We're very transparent and we can help you out with those positions. We're very good at that. On this, on the software side, we just finished a project in the blockchain space. We're doing a virtual reality, several projects. So if you have something, you know, that's um, a, a custom software need to build and, and something that's unique, one of those types of areas, uh, we have a great team of people who are human focused and and we want to understand the business problem that you're you're trying to solve and build the software for that to solve that problem. It's not not so much about the code and the tools we use. It's about your business problem and and solving that or the market that you're trying to approach. Well, that's really interesting. And um, I really appreciate you being on the show. Um, I'll put your contact info um, for OpenArc in the uh, in the show notes. So anybody that wants to to reach out should be should have uh, uh, should have that information. Um, Joel, thanks again for coming on Road to CEO. All right. Well, thank you so much. You're a great interviewer. Appreciate your uh, just talking with you today.